Well, hopefully if man is still alive in 2525, the MTA system will be much updated to fit 2525. I picked this to open with because uh, Wall Street Journal's Brianna Abbott uh, had a story on the Wall Street Journal that this song in the year 2525 was trending when the man on the moon happened. So how about that? But my next guest, Jose Martinez, has been talking about the MTA and how we're spending $2.5 million on a, a communication system that blanked out seven lines last Friday, and I'm still seething from that, Jose. Uh, welcome inside. Hey, thanks for having me. And, yeah, that was quite a, quite a meltdown, and on a very, very hot day, a miserable start to the uh, first summer heat wave, and uh, couldn't have gone much worse for the MTA and for the millions of people that it carries on the subways every day. Now, you are at the City of New York and a senior reporter there. You've been covering transit. You've been covering the city for about 20-something years. So is this one of the worst years you've seen in your coverage with the MTA, with the blackouts, everything going on? Well, I'm over it. It's, it's the city.nyc is the website, and it's, a, it's an investigative reporting project where we got a lot of uh, reporters with a lot of experience to cover the city of New York. And I was brought on to cover transit. I had previously been on the air at New York One for about six years. And so I'm pretty familiar with the downfall, if you will, of the MTA. That's something that had been happening over the last several years. And while subway service has improved uh, by a good measure in the last several months, Friday's meltdown was really problematic because what we uncovered at the city was that the uh, computer glitch that was blamed in Friday's meltdown, uh, it's a system known as automatic train supervision that routes the numbered lines, it broke down at the worst possible time, as New York City transit officials have said. But as we uncovered in, in our reporting at the city, it's something that's happened repeatedly, and there was at least one other uh, major incident similar to Friday's when you had a good number of trains uh, being broken down. But it, it, it has set up a bit of a stir at the MTA in the recent days because they're wondering why are these problems happening? Is it the fault of their contractor? Is it the fault of their supplier? Is it something within their system? And they're going to try to get to the bottom of that so that they can avoid similar uh, commuting chaos like we had on Friday. It well, was not pleasant. Well, and I heard based on your article, there was some backlash at the next board meeting. Is that right? Uh, sure. I mean, there was unhappiness from the writing public. There was unhappiness from the advocacy groups that protested before the meeting. There was unhappiness from a certain MTA board member who questioned the legitimacy of my reporting at the city and uh, admitted he's not a reader, but I hope he is now. And I, I guess it just points to a lot of unhappiness with what happened. And why not? All right. A lot of people were left in the lurch uh, on a Friday evening when it was really miserably hot. And now these articles have pointed to uh, something that has happened uh, on a rather regular basis. I shouldn't say rather regular, but it's happened enough times that they should be concerned. So that's, that's caused uh, something of a stir, uh, again, among the writers, among the, the people who advocate for the writing public, 
and among the people who run the transit system and those who serve on its board. And let's be honest, I thought I think Andy Byford's doing a darn good job considering where we were before he came here, and I think he's really gotten this MTA in tip-top, sh- you know, in better shape than when he first came in, uh, the shape it was in. Andy Byford came in at a real low point uh, for New York City Transit, uh, and we're not just talking about the subway, we're talking also about the buses. So he's come in, aggressively pushed a lot of plans, done things that have resulted in some positive changes, such as cutting the number of delays, improving the on-time performance, and also uh, rolling back some changes that have gotten trains moving a little faster on certain stretches of the line uh, in, in dozens of places around the subway system. So he is a very solid transit professional. There's no doubt about it. But he's also in a position that he's always wanted. Uh, but as I've noted many, many times, uh, if, if you think the mayor of New York is, as they say, the second toughest job in America, I would think that a top job at the MTA is somewhere in the top five. Uh, I would say so, considering he's got to move, what, 8 million people in and around the city. And that's a challenge in and of itself, considering some of the behavioral characteristics of the 8 million people around the city. Now, Jose, yeah, you got uh, 1.6 million or so on the on the train, on the subway, that is. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, just under 2 million on the buses. It's a, a good number of people. Then, of course, there are the commuter railroads and you know, the MTA is nobody's favorite. I happen to think that it is an invaluable asset to the city and to the region. It is incredibly important, but it is also incredibly important that it function well. Absolutely. Now, what line do you take? I'm just curious. Or how do you get to work in uh, every day? I'm a B train rider these days. I am. I am. Uh, it's a 15-minute commute for me. Uh, I started uh, coming into our office, which is. Uh, in, in Midtown uh, when we got together here in January. And it was a nice change from the C train that I took uh, to my previous job at New York One for many years. And uh, I am okay with it. The B is all right. I also have options here because I can take the one and I can take the C. Uh, it's not a bad place to be, really. Well, and I tell you, last Friday, the B and D were like the heroes because they were still running. Uh, they were Yeah, let me tell you, I, at, at Herald Square where I got on, I, I saw what was happening and I – said, all right, well, I'm in a good place. I'm going to go see how Herald Square is doing. Hopefully it won't be too crowded. And it wasn't. It was manageable. Now, there were some changes there. Trains were local, was running on the express, uh, and trains weren't maybe going into their normal places. But everything was fine as far as the crowding, not too crowded. Uh, however, when I did get to Columbus Circle to 59th Street, to switch over to a local line there, there the trains were packed. and There was no getting on to any of the B or the C, which I would, would take to my final destination. And so I just got out at uh, 59th Street and walked home. And I was going and, to Yankee Stadium that night, and the, obviously the four right across the street at Wall Street, not working, so I took the A up to the D, and yeah. I was trying to pick my poison. Do I get off at 59th or 125th? Either way, it was packed crowds, but I got to the game what eventually. What did you go with? I, I went to 125th thinking that uh, maybe there would be a you know, lesser crowd, but it was the same at either station. So. first pitch? No, because that I ended up leaving up work at 6.30, and then that whole thing delayed me for an hour. So. If it were your job, you could get a, a late slip from the MTA. But, yeah, uh, really, I guess though. But that doesn't count for if, if you arrive in the third inning at a Yankee game. Hopefully it is, though. 
though. That's one of my goals to cover sports. Anyway, uh, let's talk about this. So de Blasio's immediate reaction was the heat, which I thought was kind of weird. I don't know if you thought that was weird as well. The heat, yeah. He hinted in some vague sense at uh, the heat, but I think what he was really trying to say is, you know, shame on the MTA for letting this happen on a day when the weather was as intense as it was. Uh, but it's all part of the political theater of this great city, uh, which anyone who follows the news is familiar with. So uh, that's out there. That's part of the theater, if you will. And, and of course, him and, uh, well, now him and Rudy are into a feud, which is kind of bizarre to me. And I don't know if you want to weigh on that, but I just, it just, just he, he doesn't know how to handle situations. And whether he was here or not for the blackout, the point is, is that, we need we need someone to step up now. What else do you do with the city? You, you cover the transit. Uh, what other aspects of the transit do you cover? Well, anything that moves, as I like to say. So I've done a lot of stories, largely on the MTA. It's it's the beat that I that I think is is really one of the most important in 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 the business, really, and in this city. Uh, but if it moves, I'm interested. So I have done stories on bike lanes. I have done stories on buses. Uh, I have done stories on the dealings of the MTA where they perhaps are not uh, meeting deadlines. I've done a bunch of stories on their failing elevators and escalators, problems that they have there with private uh, companies that operate uh, these machines at some stations. And it's really a fascinating beat. Like I said, I've been covering it for a long time. Uh, I hopefully uh, have gotten to the point where I can develop some some good stories, and that's really the goal here at the city. But if it moves, I want to hear about it, and uh, I think it's a really terrific beat. Now, 20 years, so you've covered the Rudy years or the end of the Rudy years. You've obviously been through 9-11, and you've covered Bloomberg. What What's what's it all been like the last 20 years covering three different mayors? Well, it's really fun, I have to say that. I mean, you can't uh, do much you can't have much more fun, I think, than covering a city like this where you have so much action. So I've, I've covered courthouses. Uh, I have covered general assignments, breaking news. And then in the last six and a half years or so, uh, become involved in the coverage of transit, transportation in this city. And it's incredible because that's been a time that the ridership has uh, – dipped a bit, uh, that delays went up, that there's been all types of political feuding between City Hall and the governor's uh, office up in Albany as to how to fund the transportation systems. We've seen the rise of for hire vehicle services like Uber and Lyft. We've seen the decline of the taxi services. So I guess that's a really long way of saying that there is no shortage of material on the transit beat always something to cover and politics always is right there with it because a lot of this is set uh, against the political backdrop like i said the funding issues for the mta uh the issues with trying to curb the congestion on city streets the issues with whether or not the city is going to have congestion pricing on vehicles driving into the most congested parts of manhattan which we now will have in some way, shape, or form by 2021. So there's always a political aspect to this thing, and it, it makes it interesting. But, you know, for me, the most important thing is is to get 
at the people who use right. our transportation system. That, and that was really a goal of the city, too, to focus on the people. Uh, and so when I do stories about elevators that don't work in stations, or like I did the other day, uh, that the, the MTA had missed the deadline to release the next 50 stations for accessibility uh, with elevators, or when we do stories about escalators that break down, what we have to keep in mind is this affects people, and this impacts the people who depend on this. So right. we're just trying to call attention to things like this, which are very important, and hopefully uh, people are reading. Now there, city.nyc. there are three aspects to what you're just saying with the cabs and the and the MTA and and the people, and they're all about the people. The, the conductors have to be so stressed out with everything going on in the MTA world. You've got oh, consider ca- that they they uh, just I think in the last week there have been multiple incidents where uh, subway workers, I believe it's been mostly conductors who have been spat upon by uh, members of the public, and that's not cool. These are people trying to do their job, and uh, instead they're subjected to uh, being spit on. So uh, it, it's a stressful job when you're trying to move that many people. And when things don't go well, uh, sometimes uh, tempers flare and things like that happen. But it's it's an unfortunate part of the job, I'm sure, for, for those who are uh, victimized by such and then, things. And then you've got the commuters themselves. And, and one thing I'm thinking of is, is are they going to install netting on the platforms? Is that something that we could see in the future with all the jumpings and the, and the jump in front of trains that have been going on in the city? Well, you know, that's one thing that was actually uh, considered. It's, it's been kicked around for years. It's very, very, very expensive, according to the MTA, because this being such an old system, it has configurations that are different. So it's not as easy as just saying, oh, snap your fingers and everything is there. It's a uniform system where all the doors are the same size. But there have been some MTA board members in the past who've advocated for this, and I know that the MTA was planning to do one station, uh, a plat- uh, platform door pilot, uh, at 3rd Avenue along the L. This was going to be during what would have been the 15-month shutdown of the L from Bedford Avenue over to 14th and 8th in Manhattan. So there was going to be this one station just to see how it works, okay. test it out. But they uh, decided that uh, instead that money would be put toward making another station accessible uh, in the system, and that's going to be at 14th and 6th uh, in Manhattan. So the MTA has a lot of competing needs, uh, a huge amount of competing needs. Uh, And I don't know that Platform Doors is going to rank at the very top of those competing needs, but it's certainly been floated as an idea in the past. And, and it, you know, there's a psychological thing about this, too, that I feel like nobody's wanting to talk about. Uh, you have all these riders stressed out, and, and not there should be social workers on the platform, but I definitely believe that there should be some something to help them uh, stay calm, and then there's nothing like that in, in our system. And, and, the, and the homeless uh, population in the system has, has risen. Uh, Governor Cuomo, again, citing that uh, in recent days, uh, this has been a recurring issue uh, for the transit system, for transit officials, because it sometimes has become a rolling home uh, for those who are not fortunate enough to have a home or for those who are not quite well enough to take care of themselves. So that's that's a huge issue uh, on the beat as well. And 
it's it's right there, and and you put that together with a stressed out ridership, and it does uh, it can cause some problems. And and you know, I will tell you that when things get really really hot, and I'm a person who has spent uh, a really a lot of time with uh, carrying camera equipment around stations that are very hot, I've I've seen how you know that can stress people out. It's it's tough. And and. Do you think the mayor and the do you think leadership's doing a good job to combat the mental aspect of this, or or not at all? Well, I, you know, I think Most they're trying. I, yeah, I, I think they're trying, and I think they realize it's a problem. It's not for me to to say what type of work they're doing. I'm I'm simply reporting on it, but I I know they're aware of it. I know that uh, there are certainly uh, a lot of concerns, uh, and I and I should point out also too that uh, just this week there was an audit by the uh, New York State Comptroller uh, that flagged some of the uh, contracted uh, groups that are supposed to be assisting uh, the homeless in stations and said that they weren't quite making the grade. So there's there has to be some improvement there as well, uh, according to that audit from State uh, Comptroller Tom Napoli. And Napoli is doing a great job. Actually, he's one of the more... Uh genuine politicians we have uh, in my dealings with him i've i've admired his work over the years well he, he certainly is uh like any uh one who's supposed to be doing those audits that's that's something that uh he's done several of them on the mta and there are a lot of uh agencies in the city that uh are there supposed to be in some way uh, acting as a check on the MTA. So it's always interesting to read those reports, whether they be from uh, the state uh, attorney general, uh, from the city's comptroller, Scott Stringer, uh, from the advocacy groups, from the MTA's own inspector general. And uh, that's right. Now, now, one other thing I'm thinking of is that, do we still use World War II control rooms in the MTA? Is that still a thing? Because I know that was for a while. That's right. So on the, particularly on the lettered lines, that's what's known as the B division. You have the older system in place. And yeah, you know, you, funny you mentioned World War II systems. I, I've heard uh, Mr. Byford many times refer to the technology as Cold War technology. Of course, there are also far newer systems. The L and the 7 have fairly modern signal systems, which is why their performance is uh, at a markedly better rate than uh, many of the other lines. The L, I believe, is, is the top-rated line. Um, but, yes, there are a lot of things within the subway system that are old. And one of the uh, more interesting stories I did uh, in my previous job at New York One was when I went up to a uh, repair shop up at uh, 207th Street. And there you had workers who are immensely skilled at what they do. Why is that? Because they are uh, taking care of parts. They're repairing parts that are obsolete, that are no longer manufactured. So they have to keep these things in working order. And it just points to the importance of having a functional transit system, a healthy transit system. And you need a strong workforce uh, because some of this stuff is really, really old. Talking with Jose Martinez, J Martinez NYC on Twitter, and he's our senior reporter at the city. Uh, dot NY. 
Jose, I'm so glad you talked to me today because this is a this is something that I think New Yorkers should be aware about that I don't think they're taking the time to be aware about. Well, I, I hope so. Uh, the address of the website is thecity.nyc. Uh, every day we are uh, breaking stories on our website uh, at a time when uh, local reporting has uh, shrunk a bit in the city. And, and, I, and I would know that having been at uh, the Daily News, having been at the Post. Uh, it's great to be at an outlet that's putting a lot of effort into doing uh, investigative and enterprising reporting. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm having fun. Uh, I think we have a good crew here, and I hope that uh, people get to know us a little bit as we uh, become a little older. We're just at this now for about four months, I think, since we started publishing in April. But, uh, yeah, so far so good. I, I am, I'm happy that... Uh, we have this opportunity to do something like this. And I got to pick your brain about one more thing. And, and again, thanks for joining me in the, sure. the city.nyc. Will you guys be doing the news on the bike lanes? Because I wrote about this in Medium, actually. I wrote about this because uh, as a rollerblader with one leg, I'm very passionate about safety on the streets. Yes, I do use a bike lane because it's just kind of easier for me than to deal with the city sidewalks. Uh, but I see these bikers like 10 times the size of me speeding right by and I get intimidated. It's like, why do they feel so entitled? But today there is some news on the bike lanes and, and bike safety. Is there not? Right. So unfortunately we have seen uh, a number of fatalities in the last, just in the last few weeks alone. And there has been an increase in the number of cyclists uh, killed in 2019. That is not the direction in which the city needs to be moving. Uh, it's not consistent with what Mayor de Blasio uh, has uh, touted as his goal for the Vision Zero program, which is to have zero fatalities. And so this is an update on plans that uh, have been out there in the past to improve uh, cyclist safety in the city, a very, very important issue. A couple of weeks back at the city, uh, I worked on an article about how this was now declared a cycling emergency by Mayor de Blasio. Well, we looked at the fact that just two years earlier in 2017, the city Department of Transportation had declared, uh, or I shouldn't say declared, but had put together a plan, a cycling plan, a cycling action plan, to, with the similar goals of uh, increasing safety, of reducing fatalities, of improving the infrastructure for people who cycle in the city. And if you cycle in the city, that's a growing population. More and more people are on bicycles. Uh, the amount of uh, miles for bike lanes has increased, but the advocates and the cyclists say that they want more. The question now becomes, uh, how do you keep it all together in a safe manner where you have pedestrians, you have cyclists, you have people like yourself who are going to be skating in a bike lane, uh, and now you have new modes of transportation like scooters coming into play. How, how does everyone fit together in a safe manner? And uh, a, a lot of it points to uh, perhaps also changing the culture of our city, uh, getting fewer vehicles on the road easing some of the congestion. It's a scramble, and it's tough to achieve goals of safety and your Vision Zero goals when there there is such uh, a fight for space, if you will, on our streets. So it's, uh, it's a laudable goal that the city has, no doubt about it. And 
now uh, we'll have to keep an eye to see the implementation of it, what happens here, whether it is effective. And uh, I think everyone has to hope that uh, the fatalities uh, cease, that the fatalities come down. Nobody well, wants to report on fatalities. No, and, and I just think now's the time to curb the the bike deaths before it really goes further than 17 in 2019. And I hope that today's efforts uh, lead to that. I just feel that sometimes the Vision Zero policies never really protect anybody. And that's that's kind of the saddest part of that initiative. It's a laudable goal. It really is a laudable goal. Uh, whether it is an achievable one uh, depends on a lot of different factors. And I know that with what City Hall is announcing today, they want to keep moving toward that goal, which is, again, a very laudable goal. And we'll see if they can achieve it. Well, Jose, I'm going to let you get back to the beat, but uh, have a safe ride home. Thanks for this info, this interview today, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. And we'll definitely have you back. I'm Alexander Garrett, keeping it real once again, and we'll talk to you soon.